0: uh i'm gonna press that button oh crikey all the buttons are pressed excellent this is it well we, yeah we're very definitely live on the youtubes uh hello good mm-hmm. evening everyone hello welcome to rail matter um we uh we, we we're, we're live this is it and um Lindsay is here
1: hello Hi, Lindsay. and
0: <laughs> um, we have got uh we've, yeah, we've got a little crew joining us uh this evening we're gonna be talking about well, what are we going to be? Let's let's go back to the let's go back to the title card so everyone knows what on earth is going on. We're going to be talking <laughs> about, um, well, actually, okay, it's not strictly. This was a bit of a hook because it's not all going to be about e-bikes. We're going to cover like a few different subjects around the theme of the bicycle. I believe, Lindsay. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We are. <clears throat> we're going to be covering many bicycle things because. So this is obviously. Uh, some people might say, "Well, it's a bit tangential, isn't it? This is, isn't this supposed to be a railway podcast?" But. Um, bicycles and railways are kind of they go hand in hand they they they're, they're, they're a match made in heaven and we're going to talk a bit about that but also we're going to have a nerdy chat about building um, building e-bikes because uh, mm. lindsay does this and it's i do uh, d- deeply fascinating um, yes well people are here they can hear us how's the sound everyone's there there's some people saying they like bicycles thank you thank you uh, cameron Burrows. i'm glad <clears> you like bicycles you're probably in the right place then um, let's right okay well, let's press on with the news lindsay firstly um, this is not particularly exciting news, but it, it, it's, uh, nonetheless, it's a thing, which is that Bombastum is now a reality. Bombardier and, uh, and Alstom have, have merged, or rather, they haven't really merged. What Alstom have done is gobble up the, the trade <coughs> manufacturing bit of Bombardier, um, mm. for better or worse. Uh, it remains to be seen what that will result in in terms of job retention or loss in the UK. I mean, theoretically, it shouldn't be about losses because there is a, a huge latent need for new rolling stock. Uh, mm. And the railways continue to be despite covid like covid is 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 a transient and short term thing really uh mm. the growth across europe is massive for the need for new rolling stock so hopefully it's a good thing but i don't know <coughs> remains to be seen um mm. that's that's one the news item the next the news item is oh uh this is the i don't know if anyone's been following these it's covid uh, these trends uh, have you seen these lindsay have you spotted me posting
1: these? I, I i have seen these trends and i'm just looking at it's it's very interesting how you know when all road vehicles dropped down to about let me see about 40 percent of what they were cycling shot up massively and then just steadily declined as road traffic started coming back and the roads started being lethal to ride on again so
0: yeah it's it's, it's, it's uh... i mean people people there's uh, this is one of those situations where people go ah but it's you know it's correlative not causative and what i say to those people is okay go out and ride on the busy roads and Tell Mm. me, come back and tell me if you want to do it again. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's if, if I may speak
1: like in a personal capacity right now, it's not surprising cycling has actually gone down below where it used to be because not only are the drivers back on the roads, but they're angry and frustrated and even worse than they normally are. I mean, it's like. Basically, every cyclist I know has a story about a driver either being, you know, ludicrously unsafe or actually knocking him off. And now it's just like, instead of people just being inconsiderate, I've got people actually who have tried to run me off the road, which is why, you know, when I've had errands to run, when I needed to deliver stuff for work, it's like I've been doing that at sort of like the small hours of the morning when there's no one about, because if I'm about at any other time... You, you get <laughs> run off like, the road. It's, it, it's yeah. It's it's like playing Frogger, but with like cars which will steer into you rather than just trundling on their merry way, and you might just happen to get hit. No, 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 no. It's like they're actually just.
0: There seems to be like a dramatic increase in them. People are just sort of like out for blood, and I'm just like, it, it was definitely true that certainly when lockdown was happening, when when the few cars were driving around, they were going mm-hmm. quite a like <clears throat> notably faster. A lot of people just driving around quite a bit faster on Yorks Road, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, the news trend, the trends, uh, the the COVID trends for transport. So, um, what I've done is I've added now. Uh, line, kind of vertical lines representing some of the key uh, moments uh, throughout the last year. So national lockdown, mm. it's pretty obvious what happened. Uh, everyone stopped moving around, other than the cyclists, uh, yep. who very much did start moving around a lot. Uh, it's, a shame mm. that it's a shame there isn't good data for how many people started walking, uh, actually, because that would also have shot upwards. Um, mm. Road vehicles very rapidly started climbing again, uh, and bus services yep. uh, climb again rapidly climbing, and rail actually Sort of fairly rapidly turn the corner, although a bit uh, lower usage than, than than bus services. And there have been mm. a few suggestions for that. I think my favourite one, w- without any validation, is that um, bus services, because you have smaller vehicles with smaller capacities, mm. but more of them, they can uh, they can carry more people with social distancing than trains can, mm. which are larger but uh, you know fewer of them. So that's that's this interesting suggestion <clears throat> as to why there's that difference between the two. Um. The other is, uh, so then the other thing is, you see, between uh, the rule of six I've marked up, and you can see that already rail usage was faltering and bus usage was starting mm. to do funny things because we started to have these regional lockdowns already by that point. So that was already interrupting rail. And then once the rule of six came in and we had more and more regional lockdowns, and then obviously national lockdown, rail's just taken a massive hit. But also you can see both road and bus <coughs> after that national lockdown, as you would expect, both of them mm. took a hit as well. Um and then cycling, oh lo and behold, <clears throat> leapt upwards again. So uh, yeah, yep. be interesting to see what that does, uh, bef- kind of between now and the end of the year. <clears throat> yeah. So that's that. It's a rather depressing state of affairs, but um, the expectation it, at it, the moment it's... is that there'll be a leap to seventy-five percent uh, for rail, well, for public transport usage, fairly rapidly once once the um, hmm. once there's a decent coverage of the of the vaccine. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, honestly, it's just like, you know, it's we've done as well as we have with the vaccine, despite everything. And to be honest, it's like, I feel my main concern is like I can see things going more or less back to normal. I can also see people being a little bit more leery of public transport than they used to be. And honestly, just like, especially with the priorities of this government, my real concern is they're going to just go, oh, we need more roads. We need more road capacity. We're going to just embed this in climate change. Be damned. Everything else be damned. It's uh I don't know. I'd say I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, but also I can see how it would go very pear-shaped.
0: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, what what you've just described is precisely the trajectory that the government has been pursuing of late you know they, they haven't done any of the things they could have done while while this was happening the treasury are desperate for this fair increase even though it's ridiculous that there's a, they're pushing yeah. that forwards in any case yeah so that's that's the trend and yeah we have we, we keep a close eye on it and the policy relating to it the next bit of news is is a positive one which is that anger works hey. hooray
1: show um, us
0: <laughs> this is reading west <laughs> station which or rather the the future reading west uh, station building um, but you'll see that it's no longer a corrugated shed. They have put mm. pretend brick, or possibly even real brick, on it, and some glass to make it a little bit better. They've also improved the um, they've improved the the actual road uh, design as well. They've they've kind of pushed the road uh, surface or sort of the curb line back so that there's not this interruption. Mm. Uh, I mean, it would be better if there was a massive pedestrian crossing, sort of right the way across the width of the bridge, to allow people to cross, mm-hmm. rather than just epoxy thing at the other end. But it's it is an improvement on the previous one, yeah. which which received it received the um, the Perry bar treatment. Of everyone went, what the hell is this? And got very loudly angry about it. Anger works. Yeah.
1: Yeah, anger, anger does work. It's just like if you want to get anything changed. Spe- speaking as someone who's in local government, it's like councillors don't really change anything. What changes things is when you know you can't just ignore an issue, you can't just sweep it under the rug. It's when you've got sort of like angry people blowing your phone, turning up in person, emailing you, calling you, all the rest of the things. Anger works, but sort of so does persistence. So does this is not going to go away. You've got to actually address it, or it's going to be you know a very interesting time for you to come uh trying to deflect the ever-growing wave of anger at your total inaction which you know you might very well think there's been examples of that sort of thing happening in leicester but
0: uh, you know i couldn't possibly comment <laughs> uh i mean it's it's a good point we have a lot of people <laughs> who ask in the chat um regularly mm-hmm. ask in the chat well what do you recommend doing to change this to change that and it's I realize we have we have an elected representative on, uh, on rail mm-hmm. and um Oh, yeah, yeah, Lindsay, it's it's it is actually useful to get your perspective on these things, and I, I think this will come up again and again through some of the through some of our, the slides. Actually, I'm, I'm looking mm. forward to that. Um, do, do you mind if I do a brief aside on it now, or do you want? Ooh, me to yeah, yeah, go later? for it. Uh, well, well, we, we can okay, yeah, do, I mean, do it now. Let's go. Let's go for railing side by side. Hello, we're we're back, everyone.
1: Hi there. So, I mean, honestly, when it comes to changing things, the big thing is going to be sort of like what the structure of your local authority is, because if you've got a committee system like in Brighton and Hove, that means it's sort of like an individual council will have a fair amount of clout, because there's are set of committees which actually make, you know, the major decisions of what the council is going to do, and officers will like, take care of the day-to-day. Um, so that means it's sort of like lobbying your individual local councillor there can be a very effective uh, strategy indeed, because they're actually making substantive decisions. Uh, somewhere like Leicester, which has a Mayor and cabinet system or some which has a leader and cabinet system. Very much in those kind of cases, you have to take your case or at least, you know, make a nuisance for yourself to the mayor or to the leader of the council themselves, because ultimately they're the people who decide what goes. I mean, for instance, in Lester's case, about the only substantive vote that we have um, as individual backbench councillors is the annual vote on the budget. And, of course, that is whipped on party lines. So if I were to vote against the budget, I'd I'd probably have the whip withdrawn at minimum. I might get suspended from the party. All these kind of consequences. So what will happen in a city like Leicester very much depends on what the mayor wants to do and you know obviously i can't uh, i won't be commenting specifically on what i think of the mayor i think people who uh, are aware of the standards i hold myself to can make a fair guess but uh, i can neither confirm nor deny the veracity of whatever it is you might come up with um but yeah generally speaking if it's a leader in cabinet system if it's a mayor in cabinet system you need to sort of like kick up a stink make a make a name for yourself uh, sort of like make I don't want to say make life difficult but certainly make it known that this is an issue and it's not
0: going away to yeah we working together you know, as campaign. a campaign right so building building working momentum behind public campaign.
1: campaigns yeah yeah and it helps to have individual councillors on side like there's a number of causes which you know I've spoken with I've you know given advice to I've helped out but in a fair number of cases, because of the way the system in Leicester works, the only thing I have any direct control over is I get a one out of three. I get one out of three votes in the ward on where the ward community fund goes, which is a part of about, I think it's about eighteen thousand pounds a year that we decide where it goes. That's the kind of thing that you know myself and my other two ward councillors. Does actually directly control. So you know, if the scope under American system is for individual councils. I don't have that official YouTuber, but I try to you know go above and beyond anyway. As you know, people who do see me dress up as tanukis raised food, thanks baby. But um if you definitely work on individual councils, get as many on side as you can because you know at that point decision making is decentralized and there's sort of like much, much more scope for um actually getting things done by involving individual councils, which unfortunately in other places isn't quite so accessible
0: yeah yeah there's a bit of an internet we, we we got we kept all of that i think we heard all of that but there was a bit of an internet dropout just in case there's something that um if there's anything going on your end that you can spot um indeed everyone's going to hear the skype reconnection sound which will will <laughs> don't worry about it folks we're going to continue anyway uh with the news and Lindsay will hopefully drop back in uh, shortly um yeah, can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you. Yeah, have you dropped video just to help the bandwidth a bit? Yeah, vid- video has uh, video has dropped unfortunately. Like uh, uh,
1: IV Cam at the moment has decided not to connect. So, um,
0: <laughs> that's okay. See if it reconnects. If not, you'll just
1: get to look at my uh, very funky flashing thing. Anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna try We've 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 got the audio. We're, we're
0: we're 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 still running. You so, got audio. It's all good. Yeah. yeah exactly. So. Um, anger works that's that's our news conclusion there <laughs> so the other thing um is the next news item is uh, oh yeah let's laugh about this uh, hopefully everyone spotted this <laughs> there's a lot of yeah this is funny oh god it's very funny so i don't mm. do, basically visim is a is a is a like a, a it's a traffic modeling software that is basically the scourge of modern society because people mm-hmm. like the person who created this firstly think that what they're creating bears any resemblance to reality which this doesn't also look how many people are getting out of the car at the bottom there that was like 30 Oh, look at the guy just got hit by the car oh yeah there's, <laughs> that, that guy just got minced <laughs> so this is like the people getting hit yeah. by cars is like well okay sometimes you get a bit of an, you know, an error in these things <clears throat> what for me is funnier than all the people getting hit by cars or indeed the 12 or 13 people getting out of one car individually is that anyone mm-hmm. looks at this and doesn't go this is just a junk taxi rank." For anyone who's not sure what mm-hmm. this is, this is um, so. This is an amateur. So this isn't the this isn't the actual like uh, this isn't the boring company themselves. This is an amateur setting up a Visim model of the taxi rank at one end of Elon Musk's uh, or the Boring Company's loop uh, <clears throat> transit system. I'm doing rabbit ears, but you can't see my uh, can't see my hands doing it. Um, basically, what it is is a lane of traffic buried underground. or or a lane of traffic in each direction buried underground with a taxi rank at each end. And Elon Musk and the Boring Company Mm. are trying to suggest that this is a form of mass transit, which, as you see from this video, it isn't. And if anyone's ever been to a taxi rank anywhere... Oh, that lady just got um, minced. Uh, If anyone's been to a taxi rank anywhere that's anywhere, they'll see that taxi ranks don't function like this at all, particularly when everyone's wearing cosplay. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, this is very funny. Uh, I strongly recommend everyone...
1: Just it, finding is, this and it is generally it. it is generally deeply funny because, you know, this is the sort of stuff I used to do when I was 15, except I did it with trains because trains are just cooler. But also it's just like, even more recently, it's just like when I was first, uh, you know, campaigning to get elected, I was just like, hey, we should really do something about Leicester's mass transit. And I... Uh, so I took it upon myself to design a bus station. I designed it with, you know, two platforms, one either side and an island platform. So you had sort of like four lanes of traffic, two in each direction. Yeah. And I was just like thinking, hmm, you know, this is only 24 meters long. So you have like a bi-articulated bus and you've got two of them. Oh, I will need to make it a bit longer so you can fit two in just in case you end up two of the same lane at the same time. And I was just like, oh, I don't know if this has enough capacity, this, that and the other. But then I, I look at this and I just feel like so much better about myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just good. feel that's like... You know, I, I should really stop beating myself up on grounds of competence when, you know, you can put out shit like this and still be taken seriously.
0: I know, it's just it's uh, just a it's... joke. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people trying to, all, uh, it's just the idea that anyone, like, it, basically it's impossible to reason with anyone who looks at this and thinks that it's, like, a nod. Anyone who looks at this and goes, hmm, yes. It's just, uh, how can any, like they're, they're beyond reason, absolutely beyond reason. Um, uh, absolutely. Yes, which is nice. So we're going go to go um, to this picture here, which is of a dismantled mm-hmm. bicycle, because we're going to be, very, this oh, is yeah. to remind me to not charge into the next slide, basically, because it's the, it's the, it's the, it, we're finally, wait a minute, how many, we're 16 minutes in. It's, going, it's mm-hmm. going well, Lindsay. We're 16 minutes in, and uh, we're just starting with the, uh, with the introduction. So all it remains for mm-hmm. me to say is uh, welcome to tonight's Rail Matter ah the lovely in city 225 fading out Mm -hmm. marvelously into the distance there and, uh, and we go, in fact, well, this is, so your video's not working, but we do have a picture of uh, your face, Lindsay, and indeed, oh, my, quite a spectacular uh, my mohawk. Sh-
1: my video should be working, yes, this was uh, back when I actually couldn't be bothered to cultivate a mohawk, because I had people to impress and wasn't stuck inside all day, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we've got video. Yeah, I'm, nice.
0: I'm, I'm looking forward to growing it out again, I've got to admit, but it's just, I, uh, yeah... My, oh boy, um, my, my hair cannot achieve this. It, it, as you can see, it's a bit floppy and just makes a mess. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I can't really do anything with it. In any case, um, so it's a chance for you to actually introduce yourself, to sort of tell everyone who you are and what, what you do, I, I think, because there are, so, there are probably quite a few people in the video who don't necessarily, um, who aren't familiar with your uh, various Twitter sort of themes <laughs> that, that you appear on within within Twitter. So um, yeah, it's possibly a chance oh, yeah. for you to, to explain who you are, Lindsay.
1: Yeah, all right. Um, so for those who don't know me, my name's is Lindsay Broadwell. I'm currently a sitting councillor on Leicester City Council, representing a uh, Western ward for the Labour Party, of course. Um, and in sort of like a previous life, I've had, uh, I studied engineering at Loughborough, and then I moved on to study um, 3D design and animation at De Montfort University. And I've got uh, two degrees on my wall there, neither of which helped me land a job yet, not a proper job. But uh I still put my skills to good use. So one of the things I've sort of been doing, um, sort of taught myself to do actually over lockdown, is to sort of like build, maintain service, and convert uh, both bicycles and electric bicycles. And one of the things I've been specializing in is sort of like building electric bicycles to people's specifications. Because the honest truth is, a lot of the electric bikes you'll buy off the shelf, uh, they have tiny batteries, the batteries are proprietary, the range isn't great, the uh, pedal assist is, uh, shall we say? So, um... I decided, you know, what uh, any engineered, engineering uh, inclined person would do. And I was just like, I bet I can do better than that. And um, so I started sort of like buying secondhand bicycles and just, uh, you know, converting them. And uh, that's kind of been sort of like a little bit of a side business to me. Uh, through lockdown, although you know, I haven't made an enormous amount of money out of it, but it's been a learning experience. because you're, you're too honest yeah. with – you're too honest
0: with <laughs> – you sell it for, like, parts and, and not much more. I sell it for
1: parts
0: – I sell it pretty much for parts, yeah, which, um,
1: you know, that does mean that, you know, when it comes to doing my tax, I would say, well, this is a business expense, that was a business expense. But it also means, you know, I haven't made an enormous amount of money off all this because I do basically trade these things at cost. Um but yeah, honestly, it's just like, you know, I've had so many people who've wanted to get back on a bike, but just haven't had the stamina Stamina, or have been like, you know, I don't know what uh, I don't know what to go for because, you know, I buy a bicycle, it can't carry any freight, it doesn't have mudguards, you know, the electric assist, they're really, really expensive. And it's like, the cheapest I can do a conversion for um, changing nothing else about the bike is about £500, pounds, so that's mm. about 250 for the motor and the controller, and same again for the battery and you know you look at commercial e-bikes it's like you can get them for that kind of price range but they're terrible yeah and anything worth having is sort of like two thousand three thousand yeah. pounds which is just uh it's a shock
0: is uh to be a bit too kind i think but yeah so 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 um, and this is what we're going to go through i think so you've sent sent a lovely slide deck which we're going to go through um mm-hmm. here's so here is so that was our, an introduction i think hopefully people have got an idea of uh of why why we've got you on to talk about e-bikes um but before we talk about e-bike, well, actually, no, let's first let's first talk about this bicycle because it's a very fetching looking machine.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. This. Uh, yeah, this is sort of like the bicycle where it uh, pretty much all got started. Actually, this is uh, Shrenkov, which uh, is named for a reason we'll be no doubt getting onto to later. And um, it was sort of like what really properly got me into electric bikes because I had converted one before this. But this is the moment I was just like, wow, actually, electric bikes can do a hell of a lot. I hadn't really realized. And uh, I'm going to, you know, start uh, doing more in this kind of vein in the future. So this... um this originally, it was, uh, I think it was something like a Day6 Dream 21 in bright cherry red, which is like an American brand of comfort bike designed for people with, you know, bad backs, people who used to be in the military got broken up, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. And uh, I saw it and it was only about like sort of 300 quid, whereas new they go for a grand. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give that a go. And um, so sort of like over the next couple of months, I converted it to electric, put a hub gear at the back, uh, painted it black, all that kind of jazz. And um, it's sort of been, like, my workhorse since then. Like, whenever I've needed to go somewhere, it's just I've taken the bike because, you know, it's, it's there. I don't have to mess about with public transport, which is uh, terrible in Leicester, as anyone who follows me on Twitter will be well aware. And um, really, I guess, this is sort of the moment I went from just sort of, like, being interested in bikes to being sort of, like, I guess a little bit of an evangelist of uh, bicycles, or at least, you know, electric bicycles, because it really is just kind of, like, the ideal individual transport solution, because... You know even though so much of the bike market in this country is just oh it sells on a mountain bike or sell someone a racing bike bicycles can be really really practical you can carry mm. an awful lot on them you can do an awful lot with them they're not expensive they are very you know ecologically sound because you know a bike like this um if i remember correctly at the time i had something like two 36 volt 16 ampere hour batteries running in parallel so i had about you know 1.1 kilowatt hours of storage on there which you know that sounds like an awful lot, but it's still something like I think a twentieth of what goes into an electric car. So oh, wow, okay. you could have one electric, yeah, you could have like one electric car, or you could have twenty of these. So that's sort of like the basic math I did there, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's push this and see where it goes. And since then, I've done about twenty, I've built about twenty electric bikes by my own hands, and really? uh, 20? Oh,
0: twenty. Oh yeah, twenty. good grief. Yes. So <laughs> which yeah so what the other thing that's interesting about this um about this image um is that there are Mm -hmm. cooling towers in the back oh in fact i must remember to better audio describe i always forget myself so the bicycle Mm. to to describe this bike it's kind of quite low set you're talking about it being Mm -hmm. a comfort bike it's kind of smaller wheels low set kind of long handlebars it's, It's
1: 26 inch wheels but it's elongated and your seats lower down it's a design known as a crank forward, which as the name implies Rather than the pedals being directly below the seat, they're offset towards the front. So you've got a much sort of more sort of like relaxed, comfortable riding position than you'd otherwise have. And I mean, this on the endurance I had in the battery, I could ride for about four hours, and I wasn't even slightly sore by the end of it. So mm. I chalk that up to a win personally.
0: It's it's like a, yeah, well, definitely. It's like a half. It's like halfway towards a recumbent, isn't it? It's like halfway between a recumbent mm. and a and a convent, and a standard uh, cycle. It's yeah. So yeah. it's interesting. So it's, it's a... sorry, go on. Yeah, it's, it's a
1: nice compromise actually, because I used to be sort of like very big into recumbent bikes. In fact, my first proper bike that I had was a recumbent. It's a Dutch Batterverse Relax, but that nah, got stolen sadly. Um, but the thing about recumbents is like they, they look weird, and a lot of people don't <laughs> want to give them a chance. And also, you know, they're not very commonly made, they're very expensive. Mm. Where something like this, it's got all the advantages, it's got most of the advantages of a recumbent. But it's packaged in a, in a way that you know a lot of people can go, oh, that's that's a regular bicycle. I know yeah. how to ride this. This is not nearly as intimidating. So it's sort of like a very nice compromise
0: um, in that's a way. So, such a major yeah. thing with bicycles, isn't it? It's that it's that intimidation hmm. to start doing it, which which I suppose is oh, yeah. why e-bikes are fantastic because they do they help break down some of those initial barriers of of kind of trepidation about hopping on a bike. Um, oh yeah. Before which which I'm sure we'll we'll continue to touch on. Keep sending the questions, by the way, everyone in the chat. Um, Oh, Mm -hmm. Simon Zev Kendler asks, uh, and and you might well touch on this later, but I'll ask it anyway. uh, What do you do, what Lindsay? What do you do with operating within the legal power and speed limits? How does that work?
1: Okay, so the legal situation in Britain is a little bit fuzzy. If you have an electric bike from before 2016, which Cherenkov is, you're allowed to have a throttle because they've been grandfathered into the new regulations. Mm -hmm. But the new regulations require i forget exactly what the terminology is they require it to be something like a pedal a, a an electric assisted pedal cycle or an eapc i think is the term for it and that has a different set of requirements you're not allowed to have a throttle you've instead got to have what's known as a pedal assist sensor so which checks when you're pedaling
0: oh
1: we are and but the trouble is um you know pedal assist sensors are not the most reliable things in the world they can break very easily and um to be honest it also makes pulling away a little bit more of a pain because a lot of electric bikes especially the cheap ones they don't bother with a derailleur so they don't bother with you know a proper internal hub gear or you know something which you can shift or stop they've got a derailleur so if you you know if you start off uh, coming up to a stoplight and it's uh, you know you're in high gear you know instead of just having the power available straight away you've instead got to still press down quite hard on the pedals to get the damn thing to turn okay. on so uh. operating within the legal operating within the legal limits you're allowed a maximum power I think of 250 watts and a maximum speed of 15 and a half miles hour oh. and everything I build uh, sort of fits within that but in practice as long as you're not going over the speed limit, as long as you're not you know doing anything reckless or stupid, like riding at 30 miles an hour or, you know, riding without a crash helmet or, you know, uh, generally being dangerous. Generally speaking, I've found that in practice, the police don't really tend to look that closely. So for instance, you know, I could get pulled over on Shrenkov and I have to explain, you know, the fact that it's been grandfathered in and is allowed to have a throttle. But in practice, it's basically like, as long as you're not endangering anybody, as long as, you know, you know, being a considerate rider, generally speaking, people don't really care. Yeah, but yeah if it's basically doing what a bicycle
0: does then it's not if you're racing yeah, through yeah. town leaving a trail of fire behind you then then someone's mm. going to notice but if you're essentially it looks like you're riding a bicycle around and not doing particularly yeah. non bicycle things you're grand yeah um yeah so we're also going to gloss over the very fetching looking leather satchel that's uh, attached to this bicycle, <laughs> It is very fetching. however however we must we must talk about the cooling towers in the background because although oh, yeah. these don't belong to the type of power station that you're a major advocate of i think it's worth mm-hmm. us touching very briefly on uh, nuclear energy, particularly oh, yeah. when it comes out of power stations, because a lot of people replied to the, the video title card when I advertised this as nuclear bikes, uh, which <laughs> theoretically <laughs> yeah. is what a lot of e-bikes w- ought to be, <laughs> but just not directly. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I, mean, I mean, in France, they already kind of are, but you know, over yeah. here, it's sort of like, well, it's a 20% nuclear electric <laughs> bike, 20%. It uh, might be more like 15 because a couple of the stations have gone offline now, but anyway.
0: Yeah, so, so nuclear power is... Uh, basically yeah it's it's a thing that still continues to cause a bit of controversy uh, among mm. green folks for 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 it actually comes to similar reasons to a lot of the HS2 battles that I end up oh, fighting yeah. I think and it's um and it's the idea it's a lot of deep rooted ideas about about environmental destruction that don't necessarily match with the reality mm. and also partly i suppose it's the that the fossil fuel lobby have successfully made people think that gas is a cleaner source of energy than coal somehow yeah which it just isn't really yeah it's
1: just it, it just it just it isn't i mean it's like when you factor in the fugitive emissions from gas it's actually about as bad as coal in terms of the yeah. climate like it doesn't pollute as much but uh, also you know natural gas wells are fairly fond of exploding you know you have uh, lpg tankers running right through cities now which is just completely and utterly insane but we're doing it anyway because uh, you know, uh, they pay an awful lot of—they uh, allegedly pay an awful lot of public relations companies to keep that little fact out of the public eye. So, um, yeah, it's similar with the yeah. amount of gas
0: that's lost through transmission pipelines that just people oh, don't yeah. really realize. Yeah, that's... But that, the amount of methane we pump directly into the atmosphere is is staggering, absolutely staggering. Anyway, oh, yeah. so in all of this, you find yourself battling people about nuclear quite a lot. Um, I don't really know how to summarize the discussion other than uh, why is so. What what frustrates you about the nuclear debate? Uh, I mean what what frustrates me about it is just the one thing that a lot of
1: anti nuclear advocates get right is that, you know, previously in the past, nuclear energy was advocated a fair amount in bad faith. I mean it's like when you look at what the British government did when they were building, you know, the first commercial power station at Calder Hall. They said, Oh the electricity too cheap to meter and you know, that was sort of like uh, yeah, that's sort of like a massive lie, because Carl Hall was only about 20% sufficient, something like that, at producing electricity. And its sort of dual purpose, arguably some might say its main purpose, was actually producing um, plutonium and other weapons material for Britain's nuclear bomb program. And the thing is, it's like, you tell a lie like that, you know, you end up just sort of like colouring the debate for decades yeah. to come. Because, you know, th- this was the kind of accusation being levied, you know, not in- exactly unfairly. Again, sort of like the later advanced gas-cooled reactor fleet, which was, you know, just purely designed for um, commercial operation, no weapons production involved. And, in fact, it still kind of crops up now when you look at um, what's going on with Hinckley Point C and Sizewell C. Is You know, pressurized water reactors are absolutely atrocious at producing weapons-grade material. No one would do it because you've got to separate out so many other fission products, and you've got to undergo so many additional refining steps. It's just not worth it. You'd build a graphite pile on the fan if you wanted plutonium. But yeah. the thing is, because of that lie the government told... People are still like, oh, nuclear power stations, they used to produce nuclear That They're not. They the, the economics of it just don't work out for one thing. And the other thing is the plants are not designed to do that. And it's like you can either design a reactor to produce plutonium or you can produce power. You can't really very easily do both. And, you know... When it's utility companies building these, they want to make money. They want to generate as much electricity as possible. They don't want
0: to waste a load of land and yeah. a load of process in, in creating the exploded stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, honestly, like, the big frustration I've got is sort of like my big frustration. This,
1: this, you know, crosses in so many areas. In fact, a lot of renewables advocates have, you know, brought this up, and I agree with them. It's just... The government doesn't seem to think it should actually, you know, govern anymore. It doesn't seem to think, oh, we should pay for public infrastructure with public money. It's like they've got to say, oh, you've got to get the private sector involved. We've got to work in partnership with our beloved partners in the private sector. Oh, yes, yes. We've got to offer financial incentives, which, you know, in the case of Hinkley Point C, the cost of building, operating, maintaining, fueling and decommissioning Hinkley Point C is about £35 per megawatt hour. The cost of the electricity being generated is something like £105 per megawatt hour adjusted for inflation. So, two thirds of the cost of the plant is paying back the investors because we put it on a 9% discount rate for some reason. And only a third of that is the cost of the actual plant. And the thing is, it's like, you see this across the board. You see this is sort of like privatized infrastructure projects, like, you know, Nottingham's Trams, for instance, is just that was built on partially, I think, on a PFI. So there's always punishing repayment schedules yep. attached to that. And you also see it with a bunch of renewable projects because they say, oh, well, you know, we, we can't just, you know, we can't just, you know, build this wind farm. We can't just build this tidal barrage. No, we've got to get the private sector involved. And it's just... At the moment, you've got to sort of like woo investors and persuade them to invest. Not only do you waste an enormous amount of time, you know, having to wine and dine some of the worst people on the planet, persuade them to give you money. But you also end up having to basically bribe them with, I mean, I say bribe, but you've got to give them financial incentives to uh, put their money where their mouth is, which, again, in Hinkley Point C translates to a 9% rate of interest at a time when on public finance, uh
0: we're actually we'd be getting paid, paid the government would be money yes, yes yes oh my goodness we literally we'd be earning exactly. money for just it's, for the we, we would be privilege earning of borrowing money. It. it's it's yeah
1: it's like at the moment if you got a credit card and you've got say 24 months zero percent interest on in purchases it's cheaper for you to use that credit card and just pay it off and pay it off every month so it's cheaper for you. Sorry, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Okay, let's say you've got a zero percent interest credit card at the moment, and you're using that to make a single two thousand pound purchase, which you're going to pay off over the next two years with no interest. It actually, you're actually spending less money to do it that way than you would saving up for the thing and then buying it because of inflation, which is at the moment running I think about three percent per year. So if you're saying more sizing, say a two thousand pound personal purchase over two years, you end up paying about sort of like six percent less than you would if you saved up for it. And it's kind of like a similar situation like that now with governments, where it's just like. Hey, money is ludicrously cheap. We should be building infrastructure, we should be building public works, we should be building, you know, massive amounts of socializing, about massive amounts of, you know, clean energy, massive amounts of rail infrastructure, reopening some of what beach and clothes. But instead of doing that, just like, oh, well, you know, we've got to go to the wisdom of the market. And it's just the thing about the market you- is the market has instincts, but it doesn't have a brain. If you wanted to do any actual constructive thinking, you've got to actually govern. And that's what so many politicians just seem to be absolutely
0: allergic to, and it drives me up the wall. It's like you're elected to govern to build stuff. having a plan it's, it's that having a plan yeah, thing isn't it right plan. just ha- have a plan oh man have a plan anyway that's good have a plan. this yeah. it, it was this was going to be a cathartic episode wasn't it where both of us just like get really frustrated <laughs> I, and like wave our fists yeah, around I, I mean i got i got most of my ranting out before the episode
1: which uh thank you guys for putting up with that but yeah it's, it's safe to say just uh people said to me oh Lindsay, now you've got elected you're got you're not going to be as radical they're going to they're going to assimilate you no being elected has made me more radical not less hooray so, this is good because i get See, I get to see up close and personal exactly how broken everything is. So, you know, if anybody's <laughs> thinking I should go into politics, but I'm worried I'm not competent enough, do it. The fact that you're worrying about that says to me you're competent enough more so than an awful lot of people in politics
0: right now. So, yeah. Borrow to invest, everyone. It's time. For... Borrow to invest. Good grief. Yeah. Right. So, next image. There we go. So, t- tell us tell us about what's on screen, Lindsay. What's, 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 Ooh, what's this? So yeah
1: this is actually the first electric bike i built for someone other than myself this is kind of like where it all uh, got started in a way and this um originally i was building it for a friend who was going to be coming up to live in leicester but then you know due to uh whole pandemic business decided that you know they wouldn't in the end and um it was kind of sort of like a learning experience because i'd never really built or worked on bikes before and didn't really know what i was doing. So, as you know, some of you may be able to notice the uh, back mudguard is uh, much higher than it should be, and uh, the front wheel has a disc brake rotor on it, which is not uh, actually connected to anything. Uh, but you know, this is sort of the point where, you know, actually, I could probably make a go of this, actually, like building, converting stuff. Um, because, you know, one of the things I like doing with my bikes is I like, you know, sort of like putting a lot of pride and effort into them to make them look good, so they've all got sort of like a little bit of a theme and obviously like, mm-hmm. effort and care put into them. And this one, I sort of wanted to go for something, um, something you know, vaguely cyberpunk, so I call it corsex It's got, sort of like, a couple of purple um, accents on it. It's got uh, carbon fibre tape, which doesn't show very well in this picture, but... Uh, oh, you
0: can just about see this... it? In
1: the... Yeah. Yeah, just about. But, I mean, the, th- the thing that... The main thing about this is... This has a 360-watt-hour battery. It's got a three-speed gearbox in the back, and it's got a hub motor on the front. If you're buying something like this commercially, they'll probably ask about £2,000 for it. I built that for £600. Really? So, yeah, for £600 in parts. And then if I was charging labour, of about £200 in labour, so about £800. Pounds, but
0: yeah, because so, I was going to say, the labour element is that filling up the gap. But actually, it's if, if you're charging yourself at a reasonable rate, it's still cheaper than... than... yeah buying it yeah
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. this, this this was about this was about you know 10 hours work and you know charging 20 quid an hour for labor you know you're looking at about 800 for that and i mean that that's honestly the thing because the other thing i want to talk about with this is if you look at the battery if you look at the controller box above it and the motor these are also like very sort of like standardized parts from china they also like use the same connections they come you know more or less in kit form and the thing i like about them is if any single element fails you can just buy a replacement and repair it, you know, it's sort of like mm. they actively sort of encourage it. Like, you know, whenever I've had problems with my supplier, because, you know, not all suppliers are good, but mine, uh, Yosef Power has been, you know, consistently really good. If I'm like, hey, this part is broken, can I buy another one? They're like, yeah, sure, it's such and such, and we'll send it out to you, and here's fitting instructions, stuff like that. Mm. Because the other thing I really don't like about a lot of commercial e-bikes is they're very locked down, they're very proprietary. So it's like, for instance, if you wanted to go for, like, a Bosch e-bike... Not only do you have to get a special frame which will actually accept their mid-drive motor, but you've got to use a Bosch controller, you've got to use a Bosch battery, mm. you've got to use a Bosch display. And their display on some models, I think, has a wonderful little part where it's got a secondary little rechargeable battery. And if that goes flat, um, well, it can basically destroy itself. Um, you can't put a charge into it, and the battery and the bike won't operate with that. So if you sort of like buy an e-bike and then put it in the shed over winter for like four months, six months. You come back to it and it's like, oh, my bike won't turn on. You take it to the service engine and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, battery's dead. Uh, We've got to replace it. And then, you know, rather than just like opening up the display and, oh, I think it's in the display, and then swapping out this little battery, instead you've got to buy an entire new controller unit for sort of like 200, 300 quid. And I'm just like... That's gummy. That's, that's the kind of shit. I hate Apple for, and it's like, yeah, commercial bikes are sort of going after Apple in a way. It's like everything's proprietary. You can't repair anything. You can't expand it. That, that,
0: that was, like, yeah. I don't. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna do a downer on the on the sector because obviously e-bikes are a good mm. thing and we need more of them. But what they're, they're, I was going to ask, what thing. that that it's, price difference? What? Where do you think that's coming from? Are they are they deliberately? Are they trying to match a, what they think the, you know, what, it's quite a barrier to entry. Surely it's stopping them sell more bikes. Do you think that, oh. is there a genuine sort of fairly sensible reason for it? Or is it I perhaps think... that the market's not mature yet? I think there's kind of a mix of factors. I mean, one
1: of the factors that I've noticed is uh, the government, I think on the wheels to work, will cy- will subsidize electric bikes up to sort of like 42% of their sticker price. So imagine, I imagine you would allegedly get uh, a little bit of inflation on that. And then the other thing is, because they all, because, you know, a lot of them use the like bespoke frames, bespoke parts, you know, it's low volume, it's more expensive to produce in the first place. And then, you know, you sort of got all the additional business expenses on top of that. But I, I do think the price is inflated. I think it's, I think they're charging a lot more than they're actually worth. And I don't think that what you get for the price is actually necessarily worth it, to be honest. Because it's like, it well, sort of like uh, taking as example, so like one of the bikes I saw in, um, in Evan Cycles the other week. Um, They were charging £3,000 for something with a 400-watt-hour battery, 250-watt motor. You know, I had a lot of fancy bells and whistles. It's very nicely put together, but it's incredibly expensive. And so many people are going to look at that and be like, that costs as much as a car does. Why would I bother? So Mm -hmm. really, I I think we need sort of like two things. I think we need... So like a bit, a lot more standardization so we have sort of like an absolute workhorse of a design. Sort of like, I guess, an analog to the um, the flying pigeon type of bicycle that, you know, uh, China was pumping out millions and millions of at one point. Um, and then you need something which just, you know, it's simple, it's rugged, it's reliable, it's easy to service, the parts are widely available, and it needs to be cheap. Because honestly, a lot of the components in electric bikes, that none of them are particularly complicated, none of them are particularly expensive. So for instance, on, on that bike there, you've got a hub motor which is basically just a little brushless DC motor inside um, inside a planetary gearbox inside a motor hub. And it's got, you know, holes and stuff drilled in it for and spokes and stuff like that. Controllers are boxed and brushless motor controllers. Some have hall centers, some don't, but that's like a couple of quid's price difference. And batteries, you can get sort of like a 12 hour 36-volt battery for about sort of like 150 quid these days. They're not expensive. They're dirt cheap. Like, you know, the cell performance and longevity isn't going to be as good as, you know, a sort of like top-of-the-range, highly binned, um, commercial e-bike but you know it's good enough mm. and generally it's just like again this is my frustration with the government doesn't want to actually govern it's just if we had sort of like you know a few competent people in the room coming up with a good design it's like okay we've got you know we've come up with this bike it's based on complete standard frame standard width bottom bracket standard front and rear dropouts uh, the kit's all modular, you can just replace the battery, you can replace the controller, replace the motor, replace whatever. You've got a freight rag on the back that you can put panniers and child seat on. You know, we've also got, you know, a whole bunch of approved accessories. You've got, like, a kiddie trailer, you've got, sort of, like, um, one of those child trailer bikes. You've got, sort of, like, all sorts of things. Because the thing is, it's just, like, the engineer in me is just, like, okay, I respect the, sort of, like, precision and effort and um, all the finery that goes into a good commercial e-bike. But also, I'm just, like, it's proprietary, it's there's sort of you know there's an elegance to complexity and an elegance to well you know elegance of design but also there's an elegance to mass production and accessibility repair and just having you know
0: it's, it's a that repair, the certainly control. the repair the repair element the, the the ability to to replace and swap swap out components we've had an interesting question yeah. actually which is um, uh, Memnonia is asking uh, what you think about the switch conversion kit if you've heard of such a thing I have not. I have heard of such a thing, and I've wanted to get my hands on one for a
1: while, but at the same time, I just looked at it, and, like, they're charging, I think, a 50 percent discount, which I was offered. They were offerings; so they were charging to, like, £500 for the kit, and I was just like, but I can get a better kit from Yosa Power and the battery for less money and fit it myself. So it's sort of like, it's been on my radar for a while as something I've been interested in, but it's just, I've always been like, I can do better for cheaper, but then again, it's like, I'm handy returning a wrench. Like the switch kit from everything I've heard is just very, very easy to convert your ah, okay. so... bike to electric. So it's sort of like I don't know how to describe it. Like I, I'm cautiously optimistic about it, but I haven't had the opportunity to try one. But it looks fairly promising, honestly. It's so just that so that, so that yeah. sounds
0: like it's an advantage of it's very much an advantage of fitting and and it's straightforward yeah, to fit it's, that's the challenge that
1: it's, it it's very straightforward to fit it's all like very all-in-one but uh obviously there's going to be trade-offs that the battery isn't particularly big the range isn't great and um i'm not sure how the pedal assist works but i've heard it's not great but again i
0: haven't been able to try on myself so i can't comment so uh we're gonna right i'm constantly <coughs> crikey i had time so this this looks like uh this has like a stock <laughs> car vibe to it, with with matte oh, yeah. paint and, and orange and black. This is also so this right. I shall audio describe. <clears throat> uh, we have here in um, in in, in, in a, on some nice paving slabs. Uh, we have a folding <clears throat> bike, with but it looks very robust. The the hub uh, motor on the front has quite a. It's quite a chunky looking, in, in a kind of <clears throat> a good way. It's got a nice aesthetic. Um, it's is the front are the wheel sizes the same. Wheel sizes are the same. They're both 20-inch, uh, uh, four or six BCD wheels. The the the, the mudguard at the back gives it. It almost looks like a chopper. It's got like a small wheel, big mm. wheel. Even though they're the same, they look the same. Um, this looks great. It's got a black and orange sort of vibe. It's a really mm. fun looking little bicycle with a nice little Shimano chainset as well by the look of it. Um, so tell oh, yeah. us about this bicycle. What what's the story behind it? I mean, I mean, this one, um, I was offered... A, a, the kit on this is
1: actually a bit interesting, because most kits, are, like, you have everything set, but You've got a controller, you've got a motor, and you've got the battery, and they're all, sort of, like, separate, connected by wires. And this was a kit I was actually sent from uh, a friend in China who was sort of like, hey, they're making this, sort of, like, all-in-one kit. Do you want me to get you one? I was like, yeah, sure. And the thing is, it's just, like, in a lot of ways, it's quite clunky, but also it's just, like, it's kind of the best all-in-one kit that I've, I've got my hands on, just because it uses despite being like a very proprietary form factor it uses a very standard controller it uses a very standard connector on the battery and an xt30 i think so it's sort of like you know you've got a fairly tiny battery in there at the moment which is only like 3.3 ampere hours or something like that but you can connect a bigger one if you want Hmm. and um also because it's direct drive rather than geared it's silent so it's sort of like what Ah. i was going for with this was sort of like a little bit of a space agey sort of aesthetic and part of that was just you know it's got a it's got to look pretty. It's got to be really quiet. And, you know, I sold this to someone who's been, you know, nothing but thrilled with it. And, uh, yeah, this is a fun little one to do. And it's and being a folding bike, it's
0: much easier to take on trains, which are uh, Segway. <laughs> yes, well, that's it. We've, we've got a question, actually, which is uh, Alfonso La, La Pulche. I might have pronounced that <clears> wrong. <throat> Sorry, Alfonso. Mm. Um, uh, is asking about the, the fact that their local hourly services, Transpen and Express, who require advanced booking for non-folding bikes. How does an e-cycle help that issue? Well, this is how, by... You get a folding e-cycle. is one one of the solutions. Mm. Um, I yeah. think we're going to touch on cycling provision. I think there's a slide later on where we're kind of talking and maybe getting yeah, yeah, because well, a
1: bike on the train
0: and was being a bit naughty, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if it's a folding bike, you don't need to book ahead. Mm. And this is a folding bike, so presumably you just put it in the luggage rack.
1: Yeah, because that's uh, that's kind of one of the things I have sort of like pivoted towards uh building folding bikes instead of full size bikes, just because they're easier, a lot more manageable, like. Even trains aside, a lot of people in Leicester live in terraced houses, which you know don't have a lot of space inside, don't have very wide doorways. And if you try and sell one, sort of like someone sort of like a 30 kilogram electric bike, it's going to be like, uh, eh, it's a bit of a hard sell. But yep. if you sell someone a folding bike, then you know it's it's much much more manageable. And to be honest, they're more fun to work on because they take up a lot less space in my house, which <laughs> um, I'm very grateful <laughs> for. So that's uh, true. yeah,
0: yeah. So so that's a folding that's a folding e-bike. This is, ah, so this is, oh, so we have on screen Star Blaster, mm. which is, um, yeah, this well, is it's, a folding bike where I actually knew what I was doing. This <laughs> yes. so it's another folding bike, um, it's yeah. a different aesthetic, uh, with some nice white finishing and uh, and a sort of a bluey silver, kind of aluminum silvery sort of frame colour it's nice yeah it's nice this one
1: it is it's uh that's kind of one of the ones i'm most proud of because uh i was, it was again it was commissioned but i did like a very neat job of it i like to think and again this sort of like reflects a bit of the engineering paradigm that we lost because this uh this bike here it's what's known as a hercules it was one i think i mm. think rally were putting out an awful lot of in sort of like the 80s and it's got you know a Sturmey archer three-speed hub on the back it's you know all steel construction and it's just like this this bike is pretty much twice my age and is still going strong well, you know, there's bikes I've, built I've bought in the last five years, which has just been absolutely crap and fallen apart. So it's just sort of like, it's amazing what you can accomplish with a little bit of TLC and, uh, you know, some good engineering in the first place. And, yeah,
0: like I say, I'm pretty proud of how this one came out. It's it's amazing how, like, yeah, there's a definite sort of uh, longevity of older bikes. I had a, my mm. my first road bike was a, a 1984 Peugeot Provence. Yeah. I bought it secondhand. It was, uh, okay, there were some issues with metric seat posts. Uh, which meant that i could never have the seat at the right height because (laughs) finding a replacement was completely impossible but other than that i loved that bike and it was it was a tough tough Mm -hmm. thing um the wheels had been replaced and the bit funnily enough the part of the bicycle that failed were the wheels and indeed Mm -hmm. the uh yeah i I eventually uh, got hit by a car on it it was a hit and run it was horrible and the bike uh, sadly the 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 front forks folded because of the crash and it was a bit of a mess. But. uh, the frame was fine, actually. I got it test checked for for hairline fractures. The frame was fine. They're, they're, mm. they're lovely. Like older older bikes do have some longevity. Um, I yeah. suppose there was like a when I was a kid, all the like everyone <clears> got <throat> Apollo bikes from Holfords, and they were dreadful. Mm. Like the quality was really not yeah, great they were those. horrible, <laughs> horrible, yeah. and they weighed a ton. And
1: but the the, the big thing uh, the big thing with older bikes is um, they were made of steel, and they weren't sort of like value engineered as much as they are now because it's all sort of like. With the three-speed hub, you've only got three gears, but it's a very simple mechanism. Sturmy Archer made millions of them. They work, and they just keep on working, especially the oil-filled ones, which you just put a few drops of oil in every now and then, and they're fine for decades. There's ones that they built in sort of like the 50s, which are still working now. (laughs) But sort of like new bikes, like, you've got 21 speeds. You've got a front and rear derailleur, and it's just like you can't sell a worthwhile bike with all those features for 300 pounds because you're going to have to cheap out on something that means the yeah. derailleur goes out of alignment it means you know you've got horrible cheap wheels it means you've got brake pads which fade very easily it means you've got you know just cheap nasty components which just don't stand the test of time whereas you know when you look at older stuff you know it was i i, I guess it was marked fairly stodgily you could say but it, it lasted it was built to last you yeah. know it's so like I guess it's substance of a star is what I is kind of what I like and appreciate, and I'm just sort of like trying to aim for that with the bikes that I build because it's like you know they might not, really not be the flashiest things in the market; they're using sort of like mass market Chinese parts, but they're, they're good parts. They're solid. They'll work for you know thousands and thousands of miles. So. Yeah, which
0: which kind of raises it. So Ella's asked. Ella, the developers asked a question. Hello, Ella. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, oh, crikey, okay, we're not going to put that picture up yet because we're going to get very excited about that. <laughs> um, which, <laughs> no, no, I've got distracted now. Ella's question is about maintainability. What's the difference in cost uh, of, of a regular bike versus a, an e bike um, in terms of maintenance?
1: In terms of maintenance, there's a couple of things extra you need to worry about on an electric bike. Firstly, you've sort of got if you've got a geared motor hub, those gears are going to wear over time, but they do so you know fairly slowly because they run you know way below the sort of rate specification half the time. And the other thing is the battery. And what I do with my batteries is I only charge them to about 90% of their rated capacity, which puts the cells under less stress and causes them to last you know much longer, about twice as long. So, but so you know the big thing to worry about with an electric bike is generally speaking wear on the battery, but I've been running. I've been running like the same battery pack on Shrankov for over a year now, and there's been no loss in capacity again because you know I charge it 90. Mm-hmm. So I think the only thing to bear in mind with an electric bike is sort of like every five years you might need to get a new battery. But uh, if you're going for sort of like the batteries I use, that's maybe 100, 200 pounds you're looking at for a replacement. So it sort of like works out to I guess about like an extra 20 quid a year in maintenance in terms of maintenance fees. But really, a lot of them are very fit and forget. Uh, mm that's honestly why i go with the kits i do because if any individual bit does fail i can just get a replacement very easily i I don't have to to worry about proprietary compatibility
0: Mm, yeah 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 um right okay i'm doing it we're going to the next image which (laughs) people might have seen five seconds ago oh my goodness me look at this beautiful machine this beautiful and ridiculous machine to on screen for the people listening on screen is a What looks like a refurbished, because I believe it is, uh, Mm -hmm. Sinclair C5, looking in very good, Nick, with some nice Schwalbe, uh, are they big apples on the back there? They're big apples on there, yeah. yeah, Some nice Schwalbe big apple tires on the back. Um, You've you've done a nice job of tidying it up. It looks great. Mm. Uh, This is Sinclair C5, and these are, oh my, okay, right, Lindsay, tell us about the Sinclair C5. Okay, so the Sinclair C5 is probably
1: one of the most infamous uh, electric vehicle disasters in British history, (laughs) and part of that was sort of like a a mix of three things, which was Sir Clive decided to launch it in January with lead-acid batteries, which don't do well in the cold, so when they tried uh, giving them to the press to demonstrate, half of them didn't work. Um, He tried to sell it as a car when it's really not, and... um, also, he didn't just go for a bicycle in the first place because, like, like so many things. Like, I, I actually do have a lot of a soft spot for the C5. It's a lot of fun to ride. Like, uh, mine, the controller box blew up because, surprise, the in it are 35 years old and they fail over time. But, you know, getting some good progress on replacing that. Um, but it sort of does illustrate the problem with sort of, like, a lot of technological solutions, which is just sort of like, hmm, people don't like riding bikes. Could that be due, due to the lack of infrastructure Structure, the disdain in which they're held, the uh, lack of government support for cycling. No, 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 no. It's that. Uh, it's that. It's on two wheels. It's the wrong format. We need to invent something that's like a bike, but not a bike. And that's kind of where the. Uh, that's kind of where the single C5 falls. It's like it performs like a bicycle. It rides a bit like a bicycle. It's got you know a nice motor, unlike a bicycle, but. Um, yeah, it just kind of fell into this valley of, it's a lot of fun to ride, but I would not be caught dead in traffic in it. And, you know, <laughs> the only reason I'm able to ride in Leicester is, you know, for whatever else people say about the mayor, he has built an awful lot of rather good cycle lanes, which this will go quite happily on. Mm. So I was actually able to ride it around until the uh, control box blew up, because it uh, turns out they're using screw terminals without... Uh, Turns out using screw terminals that are over, like, 35 years old is uh, a recipe for some very interesting issues with high-resistance joints, which uh, I didn't immediately notice. And uh, so, yeah, my control board uh, caught fire slightly, which is apparently a known issue with these. Yeah, yeah. It does sound bad, because that's the other thing about these is... um, it's very common for the flyback diodes to uh, blow, so it's sort of like if you push a Sinclair C5 backwards at more than walking pace, uh, you will blow up the electrics in it, which is uh, <laughs> not fun. Yeah, oh, it's, I love uh, it. As, as I say, I love the aesthetic. It's like something out of a Akira or something like like out of another sci fi anime from sort of like 1980s, but it's just, it's like, Clive, you should have just sold this thing as a toy. It's, it, no, Clive, honey, I love you, but uh, no
0: if 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 he'd marketed yeah a lot of people in the chat saying he was not a great marketer um, he, he and- wasn't
1: to be to be honest that's kind of why i like the guy he's like he was not a good businessman he was an inventor first and foremost he's yeah. just like you know i made millions and millions of pounds i lost it and the thing is is like you know he reportedly had a temper but he's someone i have a lot of time for just because you know he's you know he's not a sociopath he's not like what whatever the name of the guy is who just what is it let Debenhams go bankrupt with uh, yeah. twelve thousand jobs because he was running the pension fund like you know I was a decent guy, just didn't really have a good head for marketing, I guess. Because, like, you know, if he'd launched this thing in the summer and said the most fun you can have on three wheels, and I don't know, maybe like stock some models in it at the beach or something, or something like that, I guess. I mean, I, I would say that I'm a lesbian, but anyway. Um, <laughs> just, you know, if he'd launched it properly, I think it would have been a hit, but it just
0: wasn't going to be much good at what he wanted it to be good at. So he, I always <laughs> imagine um, Sir Clive as being a bit of a Wallace character. It's that sort he of like. Is. <laughs> aimless inventor with very limited mm. amounts of success uh yeah i mean i wouldn't call
1: it limited amount of success necessarily but i can definitely see where that comparison comes from
0: yeah so but but it but it, the thing is it is also it's brilliant it's it, there's something very pleasing about it as a as a, as a machine it, as, a, as a bit of as a bit of sort of industrial design it's quite pleasing it is, even yeah, if it's made it, entirely it honestly... of plastic inside as well oh yeah i mean the front wheel
1: is made of plastic so if you use the front rim brake on a really long descent it might melt but uh don't, you didn't hear that from me but yeah it is something which i really love the form of it it's actually really comfortable to ride it, it's an awful lot of fun it's something that's sort of like i would want to relaunch with modern technology if i had the money for it but uh you know i grew up in a recession and we we're going through another recession so uh the uh can't say I'm too much mystic on that front but anyway uh,
0: alfonso Lapulche is saying that you need to fit a dcc decoder apparently i uh uh, is that a reference to, is that a reference to, tra- to to, model trains? I think it might be, you know, uh, in, in any case, it goes over my head. The, that's the Sinclair yeah, C5. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to press on to talk about, it's uh, so, okay. So we've got, so it's another folding, it's another folding e-bike. This mm-hmm. one, what I love about these is the variety of all, we've had several folding e-bikes and the, they all mm-hmm. look quite radically different, not just, you know, aesthetically, but in terms of their actual, um, Sort of the actual engineering behind mm. them, the actual componentry and the shape and the, the bits. So to tell us, tell us about this one. Yeah, this is a black folding uh, bike. Uh, yeah, yeah. This was uh, this was a Dillinger
1: cheetah that I bought with a dead battery for about 110 quid, and I sort of dedicated myself to restoring it, and you know had to uh, faff about with a little bit to get it working. But the reason why this one is interesting is it dates in 2014. So again, it comes in before the cutoff on oh you're not allowed to have a throttle because reasons. Um, What's interesting about it is the other ones I've, I've built have all used sort of like hub motors or mid drives, which is like a motor mouse on the pedals, which is a bit complicated. But this one, it actually has like a separate uh, brushed DC motor, 24 volts, driving via a separate chain the back wheel. So it's sort of like it's a little bit weird and wonderful. And it was an awful lot of fun to ride. But I didn't actually just uh, sell this one for about, I think, 500. Um because, you know, it just wasn't quite suiting my needs because it would only do about, so like, 13, 40 miles an hour, whereas, like, you know, most e-bikes can do 15 and a half, which, you know, it's not a huge difference, but it's noticeable, and I was just like, yeah, it doesn't quite suit my needs. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, the nice thing about this one is it's got 16-inch wheels, uh, 305 BCD, and, um, you know, it folds up really
0: small. I could take it on the train with me. It's great. But, uh, yeah, so, you're so right, there's, there's... It looks like it's got lots of folding points, and, like, it gets really small by the look of it. <clears throat> It
1: does, yeah. You've got the falling point in the middle, handlebars fold down, seat collapses, all the rest of it. Like, it folds up really, really tiny, which is great because I just had to box it up to ship to somebody. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a fun one. It yeah, fits on a train really well, too. So, and it's yeah.
0: got a lovely, lovely set of pannier bags on there as well, just showing kind of how durable, mm-hmm. how, how versatile these, the, even these little bikes can be yeah. in terms of moving stuff around. Yeah. Cause this one, it's like, if you look at the freight rack on the back, like I was carrying sort of like
1: crates of energy drinks back from Costco because I have a problem. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like, even though it's small, it is, you know, a fairly mighty one. It's just, you can, <laughs> you can glean some real practicality out of, you know, tiny folding bikes. It's just, you know, bicycles don't have to just be, you know, a toy or something to ride downhill on. They can be a practical mode of transportation, which is ultimately like
0: what I'm all about. I'm about practicality. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and so the, oh, right so this this is actually I should have put this at the end because this is actually an advert. Hmm. It's an advert. Oh,
1: this is a bit of an advert. Yes. Uh, this is one of the ones that I built most recently. It's again 16-inch wheels, but they're slightly different. They're Brompton wheels. So they're 349 BCD and this one is just like I've never done wheel building before. I'll learn how to do it And I did learn how to do it, but it was a horrible experience, but hey, the wheels came out. Well, so who cares? Um, so it's got drum brakes front and rear. It's got a, a Stummy Archer XFD on the front and it's got a Shimano roller brake on the back uh Novinci n330 uh continuously variable transmission hub and if you look the motor is actually behind the pedals it uh, drives the uh it drives the chain directly rather than you know having the most amount on either wheel which means you get better torque and you know can pull more loads with it and the battery is what's known as a frog battery which mounts on the seat post so you know you've got the rack brief carrying whatever you will and this one honestly it was um it's been a really interesting build because it's not like anything i've built before and uh yeah, it's, it's honestly, like, it's comparable to an electric Brompton it would cost about, sort of, like, three times the price. Um, and, yeah, I'm just genuinely really proud of it. Like, it's a great all-weather bike. And as you can see, I took this up through Bradgate Park and up, sort of, like, around the country roads there. And, you know, it performed really well there, even, like, out so even like out of a city, so...
0: Yeah, it's really strange yeah, seeing, but, a, seeing, a, not a, seeing a folding bike doing off-road uh, or, or sort of... Yeah, know, I mean, sort not, of not exactly things, off-road,
1: but, it... but, you know, sort of, like, out in the sticks a little yeah, bit, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, this
0: one... Um, Cope this deeply. one,
1: yeah, yeah. The one problem with it, though, and the reason I'm selling it is I can't tow a trailer with it because the trailer I've got hitches onto the axle. And if you look closely at this, it's got the track style dropouts, these sort of like horizontal dropouts facing to the rear. Which means if I put a trailer on the axle, it would tend to pull the wheel out of the back fork. And oh that yeah, would be good.
0: Yeah, yeah. But so yeah, well i wondering like, what, what exactly Lindsay was just describing for those for the benefit of people <laughs> uh, on the stream. You can see here that the the sort of the shape of the the hook. That holds mm. the the back axle is rearwards, which means that if you uh, yeah. attach a trailer onto it, your wheel's going this way, whilst your bike might well mm. end up going this way. Uh, yeah, and that's not good. The one
1: that, the nice thing about it though is you don't need a chain tensioner, which means that the chain doesn't need to dangle really close to the ground because. Before I converted this, it had a derailleur and the mech was basically touching the ground pretty much. So, you know, anything you go past it, you get bashed on. Whereas this one actually has a good amount of ground clearance. It's really simple. It rides really, really nicely. But, um, like I say, it's just because I can't tow a trailer with it. I'm like, it doesn't quite fit my needs. But, yeah, so if anyone's interested, if anyone would like a folding bike, if anyone's thought about getting, you know, say an electric Brompton but hasn't been able to afford it, this one is for sale and the asking price at the moment is uh, £1,200, which... uh, pretty much covers the cost of parts and some of the time I put into it because this was more of sort of like a learning experience than a commercial proposition, which uh, probably me showing my uh, inner client there, but... Uh,
0: yeah, so. yeah. there's there's a lot... Of, if, if any business people are watching this, yeah, they're doing, uh, you should be charging your time out at three times the rate, Lindsay, but, you know, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so if, if yeah, you're like interested... Say, it's yeah, a really
1: message. nice bike, right, really nicely, it's just
0: yeah so that's it that's the pitch so people uh if you want to do it in the chat you can although neither myself or Lindsay will notice mm-hmm. if you want to do it on the, in the comments you can do that but also Lindsay's on twitter you can find her Lin- uh, Lindsay yeah, yeah, P. in the bio um, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll put i'll Lynch drop your PB. twitter in yeah yeah yeah. i'll do that i'll yeah, drop okay, the link exactly um so i'd so yeah go buy, buy a bicycle if you're if you're interested with the next image mm-hmm. all ah, right okay so the next so, stage, bicycles and trains. This is, this is a subject <laughs> which is close to both of our hearts and something that frustrates mm-hmm. both of us. But I suppose it's something... It's, it, yeah, right, to start with this, a lot of people say, why can't bike provision be better in the UK? And there are v- mm-hmm. lots of very complicated answers. But the main headline one is because seat capacity is at such a premium that there isn't mm-hmm. any space to put extras you know like a decent for example cycling coaches that's the number one reason <coughs> which is a which the reason why that is the case is because we haven't invested in our railways to expand the capacity of them so every single so every single seat has like 1.5 people allocated to it in in pre-covid times uh, so so that's number one reason but we can't solve that overnight there are things mm-hmm. that the rail industry could do better um getting rid of all stupid vertical ha- bike hangers for a start because they are yeah. hugely uh, ableist and they're very very difficult to use for most people. I find it very difficult, particularly when the 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 particularly when the, the 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 train manager insists on you putting your bike rear like putting the back of it up and the and the front wheel down. I struggle yeah. to lift a bike to do that. And I'm okay, I'm I'm mildly mm-hmm. feeble, but I struggle with that. It's really hard and really off balance as well, and you end up hurt, end up invariably cutting your finger and hurting. Yes, uh, Lindsay, you are strong. See, you would be I able to lift. I am six foot two, and I used to be a weightlifter, and I struggle because it's an
1: awkward, bloody thing to do. Yeah, so it is. Just, Yeah, you slice your finger It's not a matter of strength. And... It's a matter of just like propping up a thing with wheels that turn vertically where yeah. it's not supposed to stand. Is really hard and really stupid. So.
0: So they're they're worse than useless. So look, rail industry, stop providing them. So one of the things that, that, so in terms of lobbying, the the right people to lobby to improve cycle provision is the DFT. It's government because government are the ones that specify trains. It's not the train operating companies. They essentially have to deal with what they're given. Um, Okay, -hmm. some of the things about mandatory booking are a bit stupid, but that's, again, that's a demand management thing. So it's really mm. them just panicking because they've got a load of people turning up all at once with bicycles, and it, yep. that becomes very difficult. To be fair to the staff, the staff are then the ones who have to turn people away, which is not actually mm. very nice. So that's kind of where the, the stupid things like advanced booking for cyclists comes about it's yeah. because the demand is there. Um, mm. There are there and are the... some points of light. One of them is: um, Have you heard about this, the the Scotrail cycling coach, Lindsay? Uh, I've heard bits about it,
1: but I just wanted to like mention when you're saying oh, yeah, about the staff um, for. The- those who uh, For those who are listening on audio, the picture is of the first bike I owned, a, a recumbent bike, which I didn't think I actually named, but yeah, it was uh, one I really enjoyed riding. Um, and it's on a train when I was coming back from uh, Oakham to Leicester after doing a really long ride out to Rutland Water. Mm. And um, the thing is, because the, uh, because the trains that we were on didn't have any cycling spaces at all, I was basically sort of like a bit stuck because I was like, you know, I rode, I bit off more than I could chew. I rode sort of like thirty-five miles that day and did what, didn't fancy my chances of getting back. And the staff were just like, okay, if you just like put it somewhere out of the way, then that'll be fine. So, I ended up sort of like just sitting on this sort of like little fold-down seat, holding uh, the back wheel of the bicycle with my foot to stop it falling sure. over, sure. Uh, all the way from uh, Oakham back into Leicester. So.
0: Yeah, was, and, uh, yeah it was tremendously fun yeah credit to the credit to the rail staff because some <laughs> of them are a bit you know, oh, yeah. there can be sticklers for it again I can understand that, that yeah. it, they can be put in a tricky situation but I think yeah, pragmatism like,
1: I, I, I understand it as long as they don't take it out on you as long as are yes. not rude about it because it's sort of like you know I will sort of respond in kind it's like I will you know I'll be like okay I understand if you can't do this but uh, I'm in really a bit of a situation I'd really appreciate the help like if, they, if they're polite about it I'm like okay that's fine I'll figure something out if they're just like no the rules the are the rules, are the rules bring a bicycle on this train i'm just like well screw
0: you it's it's and, mm-hmm. and i think it's there needs to be an encouragement <clears throat> particularly in areas where there's a lot of cycling there needs to be better mm. like better improvements in in training staff but also it's a behavioral yeah. thing as well so things like seats it that is. fold down to put by bi- to, to have provide bicycle storage that's a dreadful idea because no, one, as a cyclist, mm. I don't like asking people to get up and stand in a busy train to yeah. put my bike there. That's not fair. Even though it might be the right, ostensibly the right thing to do according to the bylaws, it's not reasonable and fair mm. for me to ask people to get up. Off, off a seat they've mm. got in a busy train <clears throat> to fit my bicycle. So it, it's it's simple things like get rid of those seats and have it as space that is dedicated for cycling, so that you don't end up in that mm. tricky situation. And um, there's yeah, there's a, a a very it's a very frustrating disconnect. And Simon's just mentioned it in mm. the chat actually. It's a deep frustration of his, and I think a lot of people all, in fact, probably everyone watching this, you, me, both you and me as well, all of us are hugely mm. frustrated that there is this that the UK is very poor at this provision, and a lot of it. Derives from the fact that there's this desperate premium on space to get people moving around. <clears throat> mm. it's just that's that's the chronic problem that is is at the deep, kind of the deep set problem. Yeah. but but particularly in rural it's, areas. It's almost
1: like. It's almost like closing lines like the Great Central was a really, really stupid thing to do.
0: Yeah, getting rid of redundancy in our whole railway system was a uh, hooray for that. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and even uh, th- there are thanks, points of light. Yeah, thanks everyone. Thanks all transport secretaries since Marples right the way to the present day. Mm-hmm. All of you are equally guilty for this. <laughs> um, in any case, we have. Um, there are some points of light. The Scott Rail coach is basically a a, a class one five three uh, single coach awful awful passenger vehicle but it's the best mm. use it could possibly have is being turned into a thing to store bicycles in and they're sticking that on the West island line uh, which is a line mm. I've used a lot for my bicycle and um, that'll be good they need to do that on a lot of railway lines if they can the challenge is that again it's you know rolling stock shortages it's another issue we have is that, that people it's like well, well there are lots of rural lines where we where, <coughs> where space isn't at a premium why don't we do it on those the other issue is that we have mm. a chronic shortage of rolling stock as well because we don't build nearly enough so Hooray! Mm. Lots of challenges. Again, lack of redundancy.
1: It's just like, that's the thing. It's just like people say, oh, the private sector is very, very efficient. It's like, no, the private sector will run absolutely everything on a shoestring, which means if you get even the slightest shock to the system, everything falls apart.
0: <clears throat> COVID. <clears throat> anyway, And it's, it is, uh, yeah. And, and ultimately, it's about we've got to educate and, and, and push the DFT because they're the specifiers. Yeah. Their, their lack of strategy is the reason why we do not have... Enough rolling stock in this country because they have uh, they simply didn't procure any. They 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 created a system mm. in which it was the 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 cheapest thing for the rolling stock operating companies was to not buy any more rolling stock and to just run the existing rolling stock until it fell to bits. So we needed so mm. that that just removed any incentive for new rolling stock. Now we've had a huge tranche of new rolling stock, an enormous volume, all sp- huge spike all at once, um, of which. That's still only barely enough to run the service that we're supposed to have. You know, why we shrink mm. that trap things anyway? The thing that so I'm, I'm moaning <coughs> about the problems, but the solutions are to raise it with your elected politicians, raise it with uh, directly mm. to the Transport Select Committee, for example. So direct, they're very good at holding DFT to account it's discussing yeah. things with uh, you know getting local campaign groups local cycling campaign groups local passenger uh, groups and encouraging them to, to to talk about the benefits of, of improved <laughs> cycling the the tourist benefits of having a particularly in the in the you know near near yourself and and, and you know Derbyshire uh, is an example of a place that's very cycle heavy mm. um, but actually, not not even everywhere. Leicestershire is fantastic for cycling. There are so many Le- 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 options. Leicestershire, Leicestershire is fantastic for cycling. I mean, in fact, like um, I think this will be the next
1: picture along. But I do mm. want to just like touch along to like things which could be better in my neck of the woods. Because out sort of, like to the east of Leicester, there's basically nothing until you get to like Oakham and Peterborough. And between there, there's just like there's a vast swathe of countryside which there's almost no cars in it. There's you know a few tractors, a few sheep, that kind of things. Um, but there's so many fantastic places to cycle which people just don't because it's such a pain the ass to get to like you could cycle all the way out of leicester but you have got to do that on main roads because the cycle lanes in east city are just basically non-existent and then there is you know the closed great northern line from uh, leicester belgrave road to melton mowbray and then i think to the south it runs i forget where it runs to the south but there's this whole closed railway line on the flat with almost all of the permanent way uh, infrastructure still intact there could be turned to cycling path, but just no one's done it because they're just like, oh, well, you see, we haven't got we haven't got a business case for it. We uh, we, uh, we don't think enough people are using. Just like, well, not there. You got to at some point take the plan and say,
0: hey, this is a good thing. Don't merit own so merits are going to do it anyway. And part part and part of that is creating the idea that that, that, that there's the the full picture. Because if you can get your if you can get the train to one end of a of a really popular cycling area, or you know, to the the ability—if if you know that there's going to be bike space, then it encourages you to do cycle tourism, which is an increasingly popular thing. We've—we've um, we've briefly lost Lindsay's pinging at us. So I'm sure she'll reappear in a second. Um, while we so. Oh, Lindsay, you're back. We've got you back. It's fine. You All only right. dropped out for a few seconds. Yeah. Can you hear my audio? Just fine. Yeah, nice and clear. Yeah, cool. I was just saying that one of the one of the frustrating mm-hmm. things is that there's this opportunity. If, if if the cycling provision was better, you could create this sort of tourist yeah. infrastructure, for, encourage people to do cycle touring, uh, and cycle. Yeah. you know, and kind I mean, of bike and bike and bike and train sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, like like I say, like the Great Northern, which you mentioned, that's long clothes. But because it runs through such a rural area, the track bed's still there. And that could be an absolutely fantastic trail, you know, like the monstle Trail. Call it, like, the Great Northern Way. And it's got, you know, it crosses deep valleys. It's got a tunnel on it. It's got so many interesting features to it that just, at the moment, just sitting there, just rotting slowly in the undergrowth. And I'm just like, well, that's... You know, its business case as a railway is always extremely dubious, even for the railway mania of the late 1840s. But you know, it's a it'd be a fantastic cycle path, and it's just a shame
0: that no one seems to have the vision or the desire to do that. Yeah, and it, battles like that are still <clears throat> being fought across the country, and it's deeply frustrating mm. that everyone gets hung up on business Thomas, case without out. seeing the opportunity. Um, we're yeah. talking of which, oh yeah, so there are two talking of witches, actually, because the first talking of which is you sat outside a railway tunnel.
1: Oh, yeah, this is, uh, is Thurnby Tunnel on Tunnel line I was just talking about. This is uh, it's a former double-track tunnel, and uh, I slightly uh, I slightly went off course a little bit to go search, search it out, and I found it and uh, went exploring a little bit. Didn't go in it for obvious reasons, but um, besides being a bat hibernaculum, the other end of it has been filled, I think, with manure, but the <laughs> tunnel structure is fine, and it's just like, why is this just sitting there... Closed and forcing cyclists onto a, onto the A47, which is extremely busy and full of lorries, when you could just be riding through this nice, dark, damp tunnel, but with electric lighting instead. So yeah, you know. yeah, that's there. And I, lot- I, I kind of, I kind of like, I, I mentioned this briefly when I was talking about building e-bikes, but I hate waste. I hate just seeing stuff go unused and mm-hmm. like underappreciated. I'm just like hi, this thing exists, it could be really, really good if anybody gave a crap,
0: and I'm just like, please, somebody start giving a crap, and I will yell about it until someone does start giving a crap, so, you know. And there are so many, there are so many railway tunnels in and around, um, like, (coughs) basically everywhere between like, Leicester and Leeds. Mm. It's just like that bit of the UK. There's so, such a yep. dense number of like former railways because it's such coal, you know, former industry. And lots and lots of double-track mm-hmm. tunnels. Um, you know, Nottingham and Leicester have a plethora of, of unused tunnels. Yep. Uh, some of them in, in more usable states than others for a variety of reasons. Um, yeah. I like that this has, like, bird holes cut in it. For, well, for the bats, I presume. Oh, bat holes. Yeah, bat yeah, yeah, holes. yeah. Yes, yes. Um, yes, yeah, so the corrugated iron in front of the portal of the tunnel for, for those who are listening and not watching.
1: Yeah, it's it's the same kind of annoying thing with Glenfield Tunnel, which uh, Leicester City Council bought Glenfield Tunnel for, I think, £5 when the line closed. <laughs> and rather than do anything useful with it... We instead filled one uh, filled the eastern approach cutting with rubble and then built houses atop it, which means that the tunnel is a pain in the ass to access. And you know it runs under well, it runs under a lot of my ward with a lot of houses built directly on top of the line of the tunnel. And if anybody wants to know why um, <clears throat> shutting off a dubiously old tunnel with uh, no regular inspection regimen that I know of, that because nobody's told me about that. If anyone wants to know why that's a bad idea, look up Black Harry Tunnel because this is on the Greater Manchester, and it shows what happens when you build uh, houses directly on top of old tunnels that are not regularly inspected, that are old enough to have a lot of weird, undocumented stuff in their linings. So, yeah. (laughs) Glenford Tunnel, to be fair, it's been reinforced, it's been lined. I think it's inspected regularly, but it's sort of like... It's something I've been asking about an awful lot and people are just been like, oh, no, we don't really like to talk about that. And I'm just like, <laughs> well, people are starting to talk about it. And there's people like, oh, I found out there's an old railway tunnel under my house. Is it going to fall in on me? And I'm just like,
0: I'm trying to get you an answer to that. But they're being very slow about it. So, hey. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> Simon's asking if you've uh, been to two tunnels in Bath, if you've ever been down to see the tunnels down in Bath. I haven't. I, I haven't, but it's on my list. And that's sort of like one of the projects
1: which uh, kind of inspired me to start, sort of like push mm. for Glenfield Tunnel to be open when, you know, whenever it is that the houses over the Eastern End life expire and, you know, the land comes up. So, which, you know, it'll happen eventually. It's worth
0: doing. It's just. <laughs> well, you know, you plan, uh, plan, plan for the future.
1: Planning and local government. Uh, yeah. So. Um,
0: biggest bugbear. We've also been asked. Wait a minute. It's been. I think it was Michael. Michael, you asked this, didn't you? <laughs> Let me just whiz up. Um. Uh, there's a lot of people talking about their pet line, you know, the demand for bike travel. And, um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so actually, Chris Bird is pointing out that um, that his pet heritage line at Sheringham has quite a demand for bike travel, so they attach a van mm. uh, because they can because it's a heritage line. A generally, <laughs> you know, a GUV on the back and fill it with bicycles. That's quite nice. Um, yeah, that's uh, not bad, is it? That's, that's not bad. Uh, Michael C., So this is a question he's asked twice and I've ignored both times, uh, not <laughs> deliberately. What are the uh, <laughs> uh, What are the opinions from either of us on e-scooters? Oh, what do you think of e- about e-scooters? They'd be better off as electric bikes, but I don't hate them. Yeah, that's kind of my feeling on them too. too. What I don't like is the mm. – hi- and this is for me is any any kind of uh, spot-hire stuff. I don't like the dockless e-scooters, just <clears throat> like I don't like dockless bikes because they just end up stacked up on the pavement in the way of people trying to walk around. Um and um yeah so so my opinion is basically that i i, I don't mind e scooters so long as they're not so long as people own them not individual companies without a dock so they just like fall like get scattered around and piled up on pavements that's deeply frustrating um and likewise with bikes as well mm. bike systems the lime system i think they're they're really frustrating as well if they're, they're just kind of get they get piled up on the pavement um lindsay you're back i was just yeah. saying that i think and you probably share my feeling on this is that so long as they're not just scattered around on the pavement like the higher ones yeah uh, it's fine it's
1: it's like i say i i don't mind them but the whole reason the hard companies do what they do
0: is those scooters only cost
1: them about like 250 quid each so um you know by the time they've hardled them out a few times they made the money back and they don't care so it's sort of like you know they end up scattered all over the place because you know people just dump them there and then the companies don't have an incentive to clean them up and i'm just like you know, I I, I I don't hate them. Again, I don't hate I don't hate electric scooters, but at the same time, I'm just like this is the same basic components as would be on an electric bike. It's just a lot less practical. So I'm just, what's kind of the point? But again, if it gets people out of their cars, I don't mind. It's just like you say, the dot plus higher schemes. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, Andy Savage. It's worth uh, worth a mention, Andy. Uh, ho- thanks for uh, keeping us up to date with the national. Uh rail heritage awards uh, you're retweeting all of their um yeah. all, all of their stuff so that andy savage of the um uh railway heritage wait, wait, andy i've gone off for... is, is the railway heritage association no it's not that's not right in any case andy funds a lot of the things like the reopenings and he's just saying mm. that um two tunnels is he highly recommends it and it was one of mm. the ones that uh, that the that they uh, that the railway heritage association um contributed to to allow it to reopen so uh, mm. thanks for that yeah. uh, and well uh, thanks for joining us on the feed andy um the next so the next one is kind of broadly the same theme really which is it's uh, this is your um is th- this is actually your recumbent right this is the same recumbent yeah, that you had in the bicycle uh, uh, in the train this is the picture.
1: same recumbent i bought on the train in fact this is actually the same day i ended up in oakland because oh, really? i'd heard about john yeah because this is john agorn Viaduct out near uh john agorn, funnily enough and um I sort of heard about it, because I discovered that the Great Northern in Leicester even existed because of old OS maps. And I saw, hey, you know, there's these viaducts and tunnels marked. I wonder if they still exist. So I kind of, like, set out looking for them to see if I could try to find them. And this, honestly, it's like, this is kind of a symbol, I think, of the waste of our, you know, redundant railway infrastructure in this country, is that this is just sitting there in the countryside, slowly spalling away. And, you know, you get absolutely fantastic views from the top of it. You've got the track bed either side, which is basically intact. And it's just sitting there doing nothing when it could be, you know, hosting, again, an absolutely fantastic cycle trail. Like, you know, getting between Melton Mowbray and Leicester on a bike at the moment is difficult and dangerous because there's a lot of hills and there's a lot of fast roads and a lot of dangerous Mm -hmm. drivers on. them. And this line, like, it closed, like, 60 years ago now. But the track bed's still there. You
0: know, you could put uh, you could put asphalt down and, and put ch- railings up on the cycle. bridge. Yeah, reinstating the cycle pads. Shame. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's it's not backbreakingly expensive to do so. It's within the it's, it's, it's within not. the purview of, of you know it's within council budgets, which you know universally have yeah. been slashed to to within an inch of their yeah, life. Yeah, I mean,
1: they our operating budgets have been slashed. We actually still have an enormous pool of sort of like money we can use for capital investments. But you know, again, they'd rather do this on things like. Um, Oh, well, you know, I can't possibly comment, but uh, the old, uh, for instance, the old New Walk Centre in Leicester, which the city council spent, I think, six million pounds. Uh, clearing and remediating the site and uh, doing public realm improvements. And then we sold the freehold to the property developer for £24,000. So there's money for that, but uh, whenever it's something like um, unglamorous like this, which admittedly is in Leicester County Council's area rather than the City Council, uh, just suddenly there's a lot of sucking in of teeth and just like, oh, well, we need to be very sure of the business case, you understand. And it's just, I don't know, your business case is it would bring a lot of business into local towns and villages. You know, you'd have a lot of... um, a lot of people with kids, a lot of families coming out to see it, it's a vital amenity, I think. It would be, you know, an asset to both the city and the county and you know, it would promote better cycling connectivity between Leicester, Leicester and Melton Mowbray, which again it's sort of like I would go to Melton Mowbray more often, you know, when the farmers market was on. But the trouble is I only ride a bike and nowhere in hell am I going up the roads on that way because I don't have a death wish.
0: So <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I was gonna say a yeah. lot of these provide particularly with the density of, of, of former rail infrastructure in and around where you where you are. Actually, mm. you can get some real, and combined with some of the uh, the slow ways and the quiet and kind of the, sort of the quiet yeah. back roads, you get some really nice, uh, frankly, commuting connections by bike uh, yeah, you know, for, for people who live a bit out of town.
1: Yeah, because I mean, like the Great Northern through Leicester itself, there's there's bits of it left, but a lot of it is just gone for the city because it's built over. But again, it's like there's a lot of out there's a lot of the outer estates, to like Thurnby Lodge and that kind of place, which are basically on the old track bed, which have very poor cycle connectivity to the rest of the city because just it wasn't built. I'm just like, you know, if you reopened um, the bits of this line survive and then connect it through those estates, you'd not only be, you know, like getting this wonderful tourist amenity out into the county, but you'd also be helping out the city an awful lot by providing better cycling infrastructure so people can actually get to work without, you know, having to spend a lot of money on bus fares or having to brave the, frankly, lethal roads between um where they live and where they were because yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. Like, like as you say, Leicester shows absolutely lousy with closed railway lines. There's the old midden counties between Leicester and Rugby, for instance, which make a fantastic psychopath Because again, almost all of it's still there, the track bed anyway. And it's just, it's just a lack of vision and lack of you know willingness to commit. You know, a paltry few million pounds to this. You know, one of fantastic thing. And like John gaunt vardick there is not in the greatest shape in the world. Like there's a couple of arches which are fairly badly spalled, but on the virtue of the fact that it's not carrying anything, it's not like it's degrading massively. And it's just like, you know, you spend a couple of million restoring this thing, you get a massive tourist attraction. Like, you know, it's an absolutely fantastic part oh, I mean, they're
0: fantastic. This is it. And this is where Andy, uh, I should correct myself because uh, Andy Savage, of course, is involved with the uh, Railway Heritage Trust. That's the RHT. Ah, I was yeah. uh, I was getting right, my organisations confused. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. I've done this before as well, Andy, haven't I? I, I do yeah. apologise. Mm-hmm. In any case, Andy supports re- reinstating this sort of thing. He's, he's curious as to who owns this um, mm. asset because he's saying that both yeah, Sustrans and railway Pass have done a bit around here.
1: Yeah, because I've been trying to find that out actually through land registry, but their website is so antiquated; it's very difficult to find out who owns it. But yeah, honestly, um, if if you want to sort of like uh, get in contact with me and and we can discuss this in more detail, I'll be very very up for that.
0: Honestly, so um, yeah, please do get yeah, yeah, in touch. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in fact, this is okay. We've we've overrun slightly an hour twenty three. We're we'll doing <laughs> it's okay. Um, we yeah we have uh but this brings us basically Lindsay brings us to the conclusion of our of our piece really which is the mm. I mean, it's, which is quite nice because it's it's talking about the fact that this that there is sort of this harmony and it's not just mm. about railways that function and and bicycles but mm. there is this harmony of former railways are fantastic yeah. assets for cycling and in fact also cycling then what you're doing is is protecting, as we've mentioned in a previous episode of Rail Natter, actually, the cycle path then is actually protecting the right-of-way as well, if, yeah, if for is. whatever reason you want to reinstate it for light rail or, or heavy rail in the future. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, that, was,
1: that was one of the big clangers as Leicester City Council dropped, because we had the old Great Central and Great Northern all the way through the city, and we've just let the city sections get destroyed and fragmented because we didn't protect them. It's like, because in New York City, they got this thing called the High Line, which, again, is like a disused um, railway running right through the heart of the city. They turned it into an elevated park, and it's absolutely wonderful. It attracts millions of visitors every year. And it's just like, you know, you could see these things as a liability. as something, you know, oh, it's slowly decaying. We're going to have to do something with it eventually. Or you could see it as an asset. And like I said earlier, I really wish the government would, you know, pull its finger out and get back to the business of actually governing, of, you know, not worrying so much about, ooh, profit motive. But, um, Instead, of just like this is a good thing and it'll benefit the public, and it's you know good overall. We don't care that it's
0: not going to make money because it's just a good thing on its own merits. It doesn't necessarily need a business case. So, just thinking about just yeah. thinking about how good it would be if there was like a suspended park in the bird in the Great Central Birdcage Bridge had it not been ripped down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for better yeah, or worse, the Great Central, for better or worse, was so gone. But but it would have been so hmm. nice, even if it wasn't a railway, just an asset, you know, a, a yeah. kind of a a, a a kind of a community owned or a community sort of uh, available asset there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. So lots of so lots of frustration for all of us. Uh, in uh, oh yeah, but, but but actually, it's really about how much of a there is a happy a kind of a happy union of railways and bicycles. And there are lots of things mm. we, we can, we can do and push towards to, to help make that even happier. Um, but also e-bikes get involved. So mm. I think, I suppose in terms of e-bikes, it's that buying them can be very expensive. And if you've got the means, mm. okay, that that's fine. But actually there are options if you don't have the means to, yeah. um, get YouTube out and Google how to put them together or, or indeed employ Lindsay mm-hmm. to create you them. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a couple on
1: the go at the moment, but I've got a lot of availability coming up later this month. So i will be happy to take on anything anyone wants to give me. So uh,
0: yeah, there you are everyone, every everyone uh, you uh, you you heard it here. Well, actually, you didn't hear, hear hear it here first. But Lindsay <laughs> is available to to provide bars because if you if you really yeah. uh, want to get an e bike for Christmas, Lindsay's where to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lindsay, yeah, well, thanks uh, for that. So, I'm yeah, yeah no, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, so we have uh, so right, as as ever, um, we are available in all good. Um, uh, podcasting uh, websites. If you're if you fancy listening to this uh, instead of watching it, um, uh, thanks to those who are listening. Oh, um, the Patreon, yes, do support me on Patreon. A few new Patreon supporters have lovely actually. Thanks to all of you uh, who've um, who've joined the Patreon recently. Um, that allows you privileges to see some of the strange and wacky things that I get up to uh on discord uh including planning for future episodes but also some of the other nonsense discord is the discord at gareth slash discord um is uh, it's chaos but there's lots of things happen on there <laughs> and there it's run by people who are both younger and cleverer than me so I, i'd hardly recommend it um but there's also a lot of discussion between engineers there's some ni- there's uh, and sort of pro- rail professionals not just engineers i should say it's rail professionals uh, and new people mm-hmm. coming into the industry so there's a lot of good discussion about career options about um there's some cv chat going on there's discussions about uh uh, there's all sorts of interesting discussions going on between real professionals you can sort of dip into like it's a bit like rail matter but with hundreds and hundreds of people on it 310 i think now so um yeah get involved it's good fun um and also paypal there's the links i always say every week it's there for you to throw pennies at me if you wish to um oh it's not next week so i'm going to put two adverts in I, normally i don't advertise this on here because it's it's a computer game and not everyone is into gaming who uh who watches Rail Natter. but mm-hmm. this series has sort of taken on a life of its own without meaning to and it's getting a bigger and bigger viewership so i thought i'd mention it is that another series has been going on um other than Rail Natter the last few weeks which is um building a railway on a, a tropical island and it's uh it's happening very slowly but it, it's mm. go if you want to know what on earth i'm talking about go and watch that and um this is what this this will probably be coming out on friday episode eight uh so there's already eight episodes and they're quite long so um yeah if you like watching city builders uh and watching a railway engineer doing a city builder and making track alignments that actually are real and functional then uh, that's the video for you next week talking of which next week episode 39 of rail natter 39 crikey um we're gonna be talking about slab track it's an episode i've been promising for absolutely ages. And this is going to be the episode where Ivana Ivramovich from uh, from Poor, the 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 premier slab track manufacturer. If anyone here is on here is from uh, not from Poor, uh, sorry. Um, then uh, yes, do uh, do do join us next week for that. Uh, Van will be joining us to talk about slab track. Given that Poor of just won H- the HS2 contract, um, uh, yes, watch this; it'll be very interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. I'm going to learn all about slab mm. track. Uh, which only remains for me to say. Uh, lindsey thank you so much that's been a really interesting i mean there's so much i'm gonna have to rewatch that and write down some things that i have to google <laughs> basically because there's a lot in there's a lot in there but it's really really interesting stuff um thank you so much yeah, for joining us general, thank you for having me on and uh i think we've had we've had many many uh, discussions of uh, of gone in on the chat so pop your questions underneath in the in the uh, and i'll try and answer them uh, lindsey as well can answer them as well on the youtubes
1: yeah um, yeah i will uh... I'll get that up now because
0: I've been—I've not had the stream up actually because my
1: internet is. Uh, <laughs> so I'll We've... be in the chat for a good long while if anyone wants to ask me anything. So uh, yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll keep the chat up and also pop, pop comments in underneath if you uh, if you uh, are, are still wanting to have questions. answered, And also Twitter, of course. I'll make sure Lindsay's uh, Twitter handle is in the in the description. Um, all I can say is cheerio. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for joining us, Lindsay. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank cheerio, everyone. Cheerio. Welcome. Bye. Bye.